And we're back for another week of fun and frivolity. That's right, you are tuning in to Kent and the steering team. And though none of you can see it, I am pointing at the wall right now like there's no tomorrow. Anyway, as always, you are joined by myself, Drew, my dear friends, Phil and Bianca. Unfortunately, Kent couldn't be here this week. He's busy sussing out seismic activity all over the country. Anyway, on with the show. How are we, team? We are good. Yep, we're good. We are um, pumped and relaxed and energized. Exactly, exactly. And look, the audience won't know it, but because um, they were listening to us every single week, um, the last couple of weeks. But um, for us, we've had a two-week break. We're refreshed, and that's why there's so much energy to start the episode. And just you wait until that slips away again. I just yawned, so we are on a very (laughs) precarious timeline. (laughs) I see. Well, with that in mind, obviously there was uh, a little bit of a break now for for the last couple of weeks for us, but my goodness, um, a lot's happened in the last last couple of weeks. We've had rioting, protests, earthquakes, and all of that just happened in one day in Melbourne. Mm -hmm. But, you know... There's been a bit on. Uh, and there has been the Emmy Awards. Mm-hmm. And before we get to any of that, Philip, most important thing is Sarah is here. Sarah is here. Um, she's absolutely here and she's in great spirits. Um, she's not in the room at the moment, actually, so I can't be like, say something, Sarah. Um, <laughs> she is here, though. Um, and, and part of the, the two weeks off was very much about um, being able to spend some time with her because I haven't seen her since... October last year, and um, yes, we've had a wonderful time um, doing what we can in a lockdown, um, going for many walks around the exact same areas. We bought her a bike, so we've gone for some bike rides as well, which has been nice. Um, And then otherwise, um, going against recommendation, I guess, and um, going shopping together, because that's the most exciting thing we've been able to do. Um, But but otherwise, just being at home and and hanging out and looking at each other, um, you know, being able to see that person that you've, you've wanted to have around so much in the flesh is just yeah it's a it's such a a great feeling so um yeah super happy that she's here finally yeah well at least we are all now in sydney and i guess it's probably amazing that you don't have to look at her through a camera anymore yeah and if we're watching a movie or something like that we're not sharing um you know i'm not having to share the audio of the tv or the laptop with her audio as well um and potentially the audio from her end as well so um, you know her TV or laptop, so it's just nice to to um, not have to share things or share devices. Um, but also, of course, as we in Sydney head towards um, lockdown, uh, sorry, out of lockdown, um, the hope is that you know we can all kind of um, be able to hang out again. And, and um, what's, what's by the, the time opposite of lockdown is it unlock up? Yeah, unlock up. Yeah. Um, I think that, well, I know that when this episode's gone out, um, Bianca and I will have had our second doses of um, vaccination. Pfizer. So, we'll be fully vaccinated. Pfizer for me. I'll be AZ and you're Pfizer. Um, And yeah, so so look, you know what? Um, uh, Let's see what we can do and and, and, um, hang out and have fun and all that sort of stuff now as we head towards the good times of being open. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Indeed we do. Well, look. It's wonderful that we're all here. It's certainly better than being in Victoria right now. Yeah, it's it's certainly true. Um, and now for those of you that are unaware, the state of Victoria was 
uh, shaken by its largest or biggest onshore earthquake um, in recorded history um, on the 22nd of September, which was to Wednesday, Wednesday, I think. Um, now, uh, some buildings that were um, affected by this, there was some damage um, to property and stuff, but no one was seriously injured, thankfully. Um, it was a magnitude 5.8 earthquake struck at 9:15 a.m. Um, local time on Wednesday 22nd as I said um, and according to Geoscience Australia the epicenter was in the Alpine National Park about 120 kilometers um, to the east of Melbourne um, at a shallow depth of around 10 kilometers which just blows my mind about how something so severe can come from so shallow in the earth mm. Mm. they kept um they kept mixing it up about the magnitude of the earthquake because the first recording um or the first um the first statement goes oh it was 5.8 then it kept going oh no it was 6.0 the the official number off the victorian government website now stands at 5.9 okay however the new the news media is still rounding up which Which is is not not a credible like it's not a good idea because it's a completely different measurement you can't jump from 0.9 to 6 that means something severe much more severe on the richter scale a a two percent increase of that is closer to 50 percent of the magnitude because it is a quantum leap when measuring Mm. that type of activity but yeah, look, people in Melbourne reported feeling the ground shake for about 15 to 20 seconds. Tremors were also felt in Canberra, just over 300 kilometers northeast of the epicenter. Like, to me, that's ridiculous. Mm. I, I heard that there were people here in, in my suburb that apparently felt it. There and, were people and- in Wollongong also reporting, like, they felt a small tremor in the ground. Yeah, I... I but um, it was amazing. funny for me because I was actually on a call with some of my colleagues who work in Melbourne. Um, yeah. and we were on a Zoom call and I thought they were all joking with me because I didn't know understand what was going on because all of a sudden we were all just chatting and then all of a sudden they all went quiet and they're all looking around and they're like, what the hell is that? And I couldn't see their camera shaking very well just because of the way Zoom is and all that. Um, and it kind of just looked like they were weirdly moving in their chairs all at the same mm. time. And I thought they were all playing a prank on me. Cause I'm like, what happened? They're like, what are you talking about? They're like, no, no, there's an earthquake. I'm like, there's no earthquakes in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it, there was. <laughs> until there it's, is. It's wild. Cause that's the second one in about four years. No, it's the third one in about, it's the third one in nine years, I think something like that. Um, which for a place with, no tectonic plate movement. Um, in fact, we're in the middle of a plate, not at the edge. We've got no fault lines anywhere nearby. Um, mm. It's v- it's kind of weird to have so many earthquakes happening somewhere nowhere near fault lines. Yeah, like we that's the one thing Australia's got going for it. We're not on any fault lines. Like we get we get hurricanes, we get you know yeah. all the crazy shit happening cyclones the nearest, whatever the nearest fault line is new zealand <laughs> yeah which we feel bad for new zealand because they get earthquakes and shit all the time but we don't like mm. we, we, yeah that was the one thing we had going for us and now we had a pretty Nothing. pretty massive one yep yeah pretty crazy yeah uh, but anyway it has been a big week for all of melbourne and all that but it also has been a big week 
for celebrity news. Um, Mostly because we've had the MTV Awards, Music Awards, the Emmys and the Met Gala all in one week, which I just found extraordinary because we are currently in lockdown like most of the world is. Um, And there were so many artists and actors who just went back and forth across the country to attend all of these parties with the Delta variant just stamping around. It just, yeah. just felt astounding to me. It, no, it, it is. Um, I think it was the Emmys producers. Um, they came out and said that um, everyone that had to, or anyone that went to the Emmys had to prove that they were double vaxxed. So um, there was yeah. that. Well, that uh, <laughs> became a bit of a dramatic topic after Seth Rogen's comments. Um, do we have them somewhere here? Yes, so when Seth Rogen went to uh, announce the award for Best Outstanding Actress, I think it was, in a comedy series, uh, he did come out and say, it's good to be here at the Emmy Awards, but let me start by saying there are way too many people, too many of us in this little room. What are we doing? They said this was outdoors. It's not. They lied to us. We're in a hermetically sealed tent right now. I would not have come to this. Why is, why is there a roof? It's is it more it's more important that we have three chandeliers than to make sure that we don't kill Eugene Levy tonight. <laughs> well, look, Bold. the top priority is that we do not kill Eugene Levy. He is an international treasure. Yes, we can't lose him. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> the Emmys producers came out and said they were actually quite upset with Seth's comments. Because they felt as if they had done a lot of work to make sure the Emmys were COVID safe. And like you said, Phil, making sure everyone was vaccinated and had testing done on the entrance. They also said that Seth should have already known that the room was going to be, you know, the way it was. Because he would have seen it in the rehearsal. Which is genuinely why I think it was a joke. I don't think he meant anything by it. And I think it kind of got blown up a bit. Because, I, I mean, he said it right before he announced the nomination. So, he said the joke and then he said a couple of other things about um, washing fruit. Um, he, was, he said something about a week ago I was washing my fruit to make sure it wasn't contained and now I've got Paul Bettany sneezing on me. Um, like he, And then he said after that, he goes, that was all the jokes that I wrote. And I, I don't think that he meant it too seriously. I just think it was a joke. Mind you, I, I, I think it's... Um I think it was a joke, but also at the same time think it was a joke at something that he meant seriously, as in he was half joking. Um, And I I think that it wasn't... I don't think he was... I think his tone was jovial. I think that him um, referring... Or the producer saying he would have seen this in in, um, rehearsal and everything like that. Yeah, no shit, he probably would have. But I think his joke was around the fact they let this happen anyway. So that was... Mm. his, His joke was... Digging at something that was an issue that um, is different from what they'd said, where they said it was going to be outdoors. Having it in a sealed yeah. tent isn't an outdoor like event. I, like I said, the fact that we had the Met, the MTV, and the Emmys on in the same week, and there was so much crossover. Like there, there were people who were there were some people who were on all three red carpets. Mm. That's in these times. That's like crazy. Yeah. If one person had COVID and one person was unvaccinated, all of those people are now infected. Like that, that's it. Um, but yeah, like I, I think, I think he has a point. I just also think that 
it was taken maybe a bit too seriously by journalists who ran with it too hard, to be honest. I think the Emmy producers took him too seriously. I mean, I would think when you're hiring Seth Rogen to get up and speak, you know what you're getting into. But Well, he wasn't a host, though. He was a presenter, and the presenters usually have... Yeah. Little scripts given to them. Like, it's not like the. I, I mean, I always know the comedy presenters get a little bit more leeway, like, whenever it's the comedy yep. presentations. But the other ones, they have I, pretty tight scripts. So, I don't know. I still think you'd have to be living under a rock to, to work in that industry and not know what one of your presenters may or may not say in the way in which they yeah. would say it. So, yeah. I, 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 I think they're a little bit. Mm, I've got a few words, but no. Anyway, let's let's talk about the big wins. And Bianca, you and I are very excited about this. Yeah, Ted so Lasso. Yeah, so Ted Lasso was a big winner. They were nominated twenty times this year, and they walked away with seven wins, including outstanding lead actor for Jason Sudeikis, outstanding supporting actress for Hannah Waddingham, outstanding act- supporting actor for Brett Goldstein, who is my favorite. And outstanding comedy series. Um, now, fun fact, one nomination that didn't win but was still a well-deserved nomination was for outstanding directing in a comedy series for the episode Biscuits. And this one is for Drew because do you know who directed that episode, Drew? I do indeed, and I am very excited about this. It was none other than Zach Braff. There you now, go. I just thought it was The fun. significance of this is that one of the creators of Ted Lasso is Bill Lawrence, the creator of Scrubs. Hence yes, yes, the connection. Is. Yeah, no, that, oh, that makes so much more sense now. I knew yep. that, but also now that you've said it out loud, I'm like, oh, there's a lot of jokes that I get now. Um, it's also why the soundtrack is so good because Bill Lawrence's wife, who we of course know from being in Scrubs and Cougar Town, is the music consultant for the show and chooses the songs that make it into the episodes. Oh, that's really cool. I didn't know same, that. Same role she had on Scrubs. Well, actually, I Very think one of the um, I think one of the other nominations they got was for sound design or one of the, I don't know if it was a I know I'm pretty sure they got nominated. I don't know if they won. So they I know they Marcus Mumford got nominated for writing the music for the show. Oh yeah, that makes sense. The the sound the opening is pretty cool. Mm. But I know that they won something else for the music, for sound. I don't know if it was for sound design or for music choices. But anyway, they won something else. Yeah. Um but so they weren't the only winner though for the night. Just uh, our our other favorite show, The Queen's Gambit, uh did mm-hmm. win outstanding limited series. Mm-hmm. Um Brilliant. But also they, but then the other awards they won, so they won um, 11 awards altogether, were a lot of the creative Emmys, like sound editing, sound mixing, production design, um, production and design on a period or fantasy program and casting, just to name a couple of them. Yeah. Um, look, also The Crown, which won Best Drama. Um, the Crown actually won a few awards in there. Um, Mayor they- of East Town as well. Yep. I think The Crown, Ted Lasso, and Queen's Gambit won the most on yep. the night. Yep. yep. 
um, Mayor of Easttown, of course, um, to a lead actress and supporting actor for Kate Winslet and for Evan Peters, who can, can we just take a moment to appreciate Evan Peters was in two of the most nominated series here because he was also in WandaVision, which somehow had, what, 23 nominations and didn't win a single one. That was somewhat amazing. They 23 nominations in both creative and the main ones. Yeah. Um, and, and so they didn't a win a single win. one? No, nothing. No. But Evan no. Peters is a brilliant television actor who has been through all of American Horror Story, and I mean all. He's in- a Which one's he on WandaVision? Uh, he's the, the X-Men- Quicksilver. The Quicksilver from the X-Men universe. No idea. Um, he was also in Kick-Ass. Yeah. Who was he in Kick-Ass? He was the, the best, best friend. friend. Which best friend? There were two. N- the not not one. The one that also becomes a superhero later. The one that the one that can wait for Hit Girl to get older. Oh, so the yes. skinny one. So not the one that ended up being on The Office, the other one. Yeah. The yeah, other that one. one. The other yeah. one. Okay, cool. Yeah, brilliant. Um, well, um, uh, d- I find it interesting because I what's the crown from? Is the crown from a streaming service? Is that a Netflix thing? Yeah, it's a Netflix one. So that means that okay, so so since since these programs have been allowed to enter into um, award shows, uh, sorry, since streaming services have been allowed to enter into award shows, they're dominating. <laughs> yeah, I really. think it has to be because streaming services do not have as many restrictions as TV as no. uh, everyday TV because. Network TV, that's what I was looking for. Network TV have to go by advertisers. My brother and I were talking about this the other day because yeah. he was say- he was mentioning too how much the TV content has upped its game. And he goes, I don't really like movies anymore. He goes, mm. I prefer TV shows. Um, and it's basically because TV shows can now do, especially streaming shows, can now do things that they couldn't do 10 years ago yeah. when they had to abide by advertisers. Because advertisers, you know, didn't want their content to be, you know, on during, you know, when there was really racy topics or like mm. they didn't want to promote and advertise for things that were thing. They don't have those problems anymore. Streaming no, services sure. have no advertisers. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. So, but going back to Ted Lasso, mum has three months of um, free Apple TV plus. So we'll absolutely get to it. Um, Sarah and I will get to it. I want to watch it, and I think Sarah will want to watch it. I mean, look, it, it looks like an enjoyable show, so we'll. I, I really want to watch it, so we will. We will. I I, I really cannot wait for you to go watch it because yeah. it just it's 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 a good show, mm. and you go into it expecting one thing, and you come mm. out of it getting something excellent, like completely different and completely worth it. It's the it's most really pure good. of heart show I think I have ever seen. Mm. And someone said today on Twitter, because everyone's been talking about it since all of its Emmy wins and it's been kind of trending. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a show about being... Everyone keeps saying, oh, it's just a show about being nice, about how nice people, you know, get things. But it's not about a show about nice people because there's a lot of people on it who are dicks. It's actually just a show about being kind. And just how far kindness can get you. And there's a difference between being nice and kind. And I just think it's, I, I don't know, it's just a very sweet show. And it's so wholesome and con- like wrapped up 
it's wholesomeness, but there's a man who swears every five seconds. Hmm. Like, I can't describe it. It's just great. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, yeah, I'm excited to watch it. Um, yeah, we'll absolutely get onto it soon, I think. Very soon. I'm, I'll make sure it happens. Um, but anyway, um, I think that brings us on to the end of entertainment and catch-up stuff, guys. Yes? Yes, it does. And the rest of our episode is all of James Bond. Yep, it's over to Bond. So uh, let's go to a commercial. Looking for a new and refreshing take on a puzzle? Ready to make something else fall apart instead of your life? Well then, it's time for you to try Unbuilding Blocks! Our sets come pre-assembled and ready for you to rip apart. Take it piece by piece or simply smash it into the ground. The choice is yours! Unbuilding Blocks, available now! And we're back! And yes, we are diving into a bit of James Bond. So, first of all... Our movies for this week. So, kicking off this week, Moonraker. James Bond investigates the mid-air theft of a space shuttle and discovers a plot to commit global genocide. Is that what he discovers? I know what happens, but I don't know the details. Yeah, yeah, basically because of what happens at the very start, he um, goes and talks to Drax. That's the name, Drax? Um, Yeah. Uh, and basically, Drax is while he's there, he uncovers a um, at his base. I guess he uncovers this gas thing. He's not really sure what what it is, and then he goes and gets it tested by um, MI six. I guess. Um, and yeah, basically, it turns out in the end that um, Drax is trying to create a perfect society off of Earth to kill everyone on Earth with this gas is developed. Oh, that's right. They're going to move him to Mars. The- or, uh, no, he's moving to the space station, and then all the, the the perfect specimens that he's got on board, he can breed them, and then send their offspring to Earth, and then remake Earth basically with people that are um, of smarter, you know, or better kind of um, stats than the people that were on Earth. Um, How very Hitler of him. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, look, I mean, I what I, I what I can see what was happening here is that. Obviously, there was a massive peak in terms of space interest from here. In fact, um, Bond at one point references Neil Armstrong and says to Drax, "Why don't you take a gi- Why don't you do mankind a favor and take a giant leap out of the space mm. station or something like that?" Um, and so, you know, there's all this hype about space, but there's a lot also. So a lot we of also have to space. know what happened in the last movie in regards to box office. So the spy who loved me was basically outdone by Star Wars. Um, Star Wars yeah. Star Wars smashed the spy who loved me and it yeah, that's why it was sort of a non-significant film in the box office terms. So rather than It's also the reason they rejigged the film order and made Moonraker the next one, even though the the spy who loved me said it would be a different film next. Exactly. So it, we discussed that I think at the end of last week. Where the end of movie movie says it's going to be whatever next, and then it ends up being Moonraker. But so that's why also they have like lasers in this. Like I remember watching this and texting you guys, being like, "What the fuck is with the lasers?" Yeah, because yeah, what relevance is the lasers? Like they don't have lasers. Yeah, no, I don't know, but I I don't know why they where they came from. 
like historically <laughs> but yeah there are to compete with star wars and to compete with the lightsabers like if bond had pulled out a lightsaber in this movie i would not have been surprised no um look and 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 uh look if the the filmmakers were relying on a lot of ignorance about space how space works and everything um they were trying to be a little bit more realistic than what Star Wars was, it feels like. I mean, for example, taking off from a... I don't mean this is realism. I mean taking liberties with ignorance of space. Taking off in a space shuttle from the back of a Boeing 747. I know that's how they transport them, but you can't just take off in one of those things and fly like that. That's not how it would ever work, ever. Um but also, yeah, again, going to space, having so many space shuttles launching up to space at the same time wouldn't work. The resources required and the funds to do that wouldn't work. Um, the sound in space, very Star Warsy. The lasers, why did NASA have lasers too? Why did NASA have an armed forces to go up to space? Why did they have a space force back then to go up to space? Because Donald None of it Trump makes went sense. back in time. Why did the NASA space astronaut have, as opposed to any other sort of astronaut, why did the NASA astronaut have a turtleneck on? Okay, what do you wear on, underneath your thing? Nappies. Just nappies? Because you're going to shit naked? yourself. Well, you're going to shit yourself. That wool would just be like, yuck. Um, yeah, it would be. So, so um, my notes on Moonraker, I said it's very lighthearted, um, very foolish. Um, I feel like we're really seeing ro how Roger Moore is remembered as a very lighthearted Bond. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Man, he's old now as well. In fact, I made that note for the next film, but I, I noticed it here as well. Mm -hmm. Man, he's getting old. Like, he feels like a grandfather. Um, yeah, that one for Bond the Roman next especially. one is really problematic. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, <laughs> I did appreciate the hat throw. Um, I can't remember when he did it. He did a hat throw and it was a nod to the older Bonds. Connery, um, you know... Walking into Money Penny's. This one or the next one? That was in Moonraker. In Moon Moonraker, he did a hat throw, oh, um, okay. and I really appreciated that because again, I did appreciate the hat throw to um, when he speaks to Money Penny and he throws his hat. Um, mm. I also noticed a lot of pop culture jingles, 2001: A Space Odyssey, and the Close Encounters theme song. Yeah. Um, used as little jingles throughout. Um, Chomp is back somehow. How the fuck is Chomp back? Why the fuck is Chomp back? <laughs> um, <laughs> I said there's elements of better We're effects. We're going to call him Chomp now, are we? What was his name? Jaws. <laughs> I like Chomp better. <laughs> I'm going to call him Chomp. Um, <laughs> what was his name? What was the actor's name in um, in uh, Happy Gilmore? I can't remember what he called him. Anyway, oh. I'm calling him Chomp. Because I've been calling him Chomp now. So I've been call I called him Chomp for the whole movie. Um, his name's Richard Keel. <laughs> Right, right. Anyway, I was calling him Chomp. Um, so Good old Chomp. Chomp is back. Um, look, the elements of this are better, but compared to Star Wars, not really. Like again, they failed with the lasers. They failed with the animation, the explosion effects in space. The the effects of space are all worse um, than Star Wars. Um, conveniently, conveniently told us how rare, old, and expensive all the glass pots were just before they made them all get smashed and broken in that weird mm -hmm. fight scene with a glass fencing sword and that guy, the other guy. Um, 
I don't know. Like, but but I did appreciate that it looked like um, Roger Moore was doing a lot of his own effects or own stunts, um, especially in the what's the thing called where the guy spins when you spin around really fast. A vomitron? No, it's got a name. Um, Worldly G force. Oh. G force register thing. You know the thing that I can't. What's it? Na- its name. I know what you're talking know. about. The thing where he yeah. spins around really fast to test whether he can go into space or not, and then mm-hmm. passes out basically. I appreciated that was really Roger Moore. Maybe not necessarily at the speeds that they were saying he was going at, but in there because you could see the, the his face starting to deform and everything like that. His hair wasn't, but his face was. So he's clearly under some oh, form yeah, of G-force. Oh yeah, he was a beetroot when he got out of it. Yeah. Um, I liked the fact that this movie started off with him having sex on a plane and almost getting killed, and the lady asks, uh, a little higher, Mister Bond, and then at the end. He's having sex in a space in space, so he does go a little higher. I just thought That's that was physics, yeah. I just thought that was a bit, you know, poetic and it's the most poetic thing I've seen in all of James Bond, so there you go. I thought it was, ridi- <laughs> thought it was ridiculous. <laughs> I thought it was ridiculous chop falling in love. Sorry, jaws falling in love. Um I agree. Yep. And also that the like I they were just happily drinking champagne as they were dying. Why didn't why didn't Jaws just come along with Bond? He would have made... Anyway, whatever. Um, also, the, they did, at the they, beginning... They did survive. Sorry, back to jo- Jaws and the beginning. At the beginning, Jaws was on the plane. How yeah. did Bond not notice? Yeah, I don't know. Because he was in the cabin. They, it was a tiny plane. plane. Oh, it wasn't a big plane. But also, Jaws, that re- Jaws single-handedly releases James Bond's space shuttle to be able to release it into space but can't push against the flow of people during Rio de Janeiro's um, <laughs> yes. Mardi Gras like there's like seven people walking past him and he gets pushed along and disappears and doesn't get to kill that woman because the crowd <laughs> you know, the force of the crowd notice, are too strong he, but but he he gets awkward because he knows he can't kill in front of anyone and then he just goes along with it and starts dancing away with them yeah yeah i know i was like what the fuck um drew do you have any thoughts on this any insights on this film for us i first of all i've got to say it i didn't like this movie so i'm just putting it out there i really didn't like it james bond is not science fiction i just didn't like it but but the interesting trivia I have about it are things that I did appreciate. So the first thing is that opening sequence where they are jumping out of the mm-hmm. plane, except for a few brief close-ups, that entire sequence of them falling from the plane and Bond and the pilot fighting for the single parachute, that was all shot in freefall. That was a fantastically shot. shot. Yeah. I, I kept, I kept looking to see if they did it, like how many takes they would have taken to have done that. Because I, I have the answer to that for you. Oh yeah, uh, the entire sequence required eighty-eight jumps and five weeks to film for two minutes of footage. But it was uh, a brilliant shot. I, as an actor, would have hated that. But also, yep. if they had that many weeks of footage. Why did they use the footage of when Roger Moore dives face first into that other guy's ass? <laughs> Pretty sure that was Moore's stunt double doing it. <laughs> Who cares? He um, still dives face I- first. If you watch it again, and I don't know if you guys will because it was tedious the first time. 
I have no intention of watching it for at least another decade. But if you I watch guess. just the fight scene again, he dives straight first, and I was like, why is yep. he putting his face straight into his crotch? And he does. From behind. It's a brave new world. Yeah. I, um, I, I really... I, I want to... Obviously, no one died from that stunt, but um, I loved the fact that so when Roger Moore's, when James Bond takes the parachute off the, the pilot, mm. the pilot isn't with a parachute. So who caught him in reality, the reality of that sh- sh- like scene, who caught him to take off? Would it have been the cameraman? Because he didn't have a parachute I, on. I have, I have the rest of the realities of all of how this happened. So the seven pound camera for these sequences was mounted on the helmet of another skydiver and a few shots are of the cameraman's own arms and legs. Mm-hmm. Stuntman Jake Lombard and BJ Worth wore parachutes concealed within their suits. The parachute over which they fought was actually a dummy chute, which had to be removed before the stuntman could use the real parachute underneath. Stuntman right. Jake Lombard would don would don and remove the dummy chute up to three times in a single jump. The actual parachutes used by the stuntmen had a main and a reserve chute concealed within the suit coats. A breakaway seam ran down the back, which allowed the parachute to be opened without the need to remove the coat. There were only sixty to seventy seconds of freefall time between when the stunt performers exited the aircraft and when they had to activate their chutes. After factoring in the time needed to get the performers and the cameraman into position after leaving their plane, only a few seconds of film could actually be shot with each jump. Goodness me. That's it's, a lot it's of a effort. a huge undertaking. Yeah, brilliantly done, though. That was seriously to, well done. And to that end, it kind of leads into the next fact, which is that the cost for the movie, like the budget for it, was $30 million, which at that time was nearly as much as the cost of the first eight films combined. Goodness me. Well, that that completely explains why the next one was so shit. Yeah. They couldn't afford anything else. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess was this a decision to try and boost this one up in terms of budget to try and make it exceed some of the other things? Or was it literally that it it was always meant to? The whole thing was we must compete with Star Wars and we must ride on their coattails and outdo them. That was the whole, that was Cubby Broccoli's whole plan. Right. Um, Now for a couple of fun things. First, and they're very quick. First thing, the cable that Jaws bit was actually made of licorice. I I enjoy that. As someone that loves licorice, I found that. Yeah, brilliant. I wish I could have that. That's cool. Um, This one, fun fact, um, Cubby Broccoli called Spielberg to request permission to use the five-note motif from Close Encounters. Um, Yeah, brilliant. They wanted to use it as the entry code, and I I got so excited when I heard it in the film. Yeah, I was Um, like, like, hey! Yeah, (laughs) right? Um, Several years later, Spielberg called Broccoli requesting permission to use the James Bond music for a scene in The Goonies. Cubby Broccoli's response was to point out that there were more than five notes in the 007 theme music. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he was joking and then Spielberg picked up on it. Um, Spielberg was actually trying to negotiate with them to make a Bond film. He wanted to direct one. However, oh they God. still didn't want an American directing a Bond film. And at the same time, George Lucas came to him and offered him Raiders. And so he dropped the push to do Bond. Well, Imagine I was going to say George Lucas. George Lucas mm. also wanted to do a Bond. He also he did, asked. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now, a uh, sad bit of, of um, trivia for this before we get into our scores quickly is that this was actually Bernard Lee's final appearance as M. He actually passed away during pre-production on the next film. Oh, good so enough. that also explains a little bit. Oh, yeah, that's why he was discussing missing. the next one. Yeah. Yeah. It was um, stomach cancer. Oh, goodness me. What's up? Yeah. Anyway, um, let's get let's on to our scores. scores. Yeah. Um, yep. yep. Also, can I just say that we're still in the same room, so it just gets confusing. I've forgotten who talks who when. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> my score, I'll go first because yep. I, 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 now that you've explained the uh, free fall scene, I'm going to up yep. the technical because also they did the laser stuff and I don't appreciate it as a story because I don't think that Bond needed to ever go sci-fi. But technicality yep. for the times, I'm going to have to give it a nine. Um, they did a lot of interesting stuff. Yep. And yep. All right. also the sound mixing was great in this one compared to all the other ones. I don't think I was ever mm. disappointed by it. Yeah, I wasn't astounded by it, but I just wasn't disappointed by it. So that, that's my bar now. Um, so, I'll, yeah, again, nine. And then just for overall enjoyment. And, you know, did I like it? Probably not. Probably about three. <laughs> I don't. The only <laughs> the only thing that I like about Moonraker is it just reminds me of a joke that my uncle said of when he had com- really bad diarrhea and he was like, I was take I was sitting on the seat and I almost took off like Moonraker. <laughs> <laughs> and that's probably my, my only enjoyment that I kept giggling thinking about that. Um do you think about that at the beginning when it took off off the plane? Yeah, I did. I really did. I was like, that's what he was referencing, and I giggled. Um, um, yeah. Well, well, I'll get to my scores then. Drew, do we know what um, what Star Wars budget was? It wasn't very big, was it? No, it wasn't. But, but visually, it was phenomenal. Um, yeah. Okay, look. <laughs> Technically, this film had an enormous budget. Um it had a big budget and it had a Here you go, Star Wars budget, $11 million. Well, and this had a goal of, of basically beating Star Wars. It, it, it was Three times the budget. It, it, it entered into a battle that it shouldn't have because it's not James Bond's position to be in this sort of, um, this world. It's like if they Harry did... Potter showed up in like Fast and the Furious with his wand. Just yeah, makes no sense. Look, oh, yeah. Yeah. And look and look, I mean, most of this movie wasn't set in space. It was only the last half hour that was set in space. Um, you know, so an hour and a half of it wasn't. The hour and a half beforehand wasn't very good. From from having an abundance of Bond girls, I count about four or five. Bond you, said you, you said you noticed you hit number four by the one hour mark. Exactly. I'm trying to think about what That's happened just... after that. And so I think it was only one actual Bond girl that also joined from then on. Um, so, yeah, it was about four or five Bond girls throughout the entire movie. Um, it, it didn't really make sense from a storyline, the reasons why, that, why things were going on or, or how things were happening. Um, Again, it's like someone kind of just kept building on a script that didn't need to be built on, and then suddenly they approved the idea of going to space at the end of it. Didn't make sense. Um, but it was brilliant for, for some stunts. But again, you can see that they had a big budget, so they had to spend it wisely um, or smartly to try and make it actually show off the value of the budget. So I give it a six technically. Sound design was okay. 
compared to Star Wars, the space scenes were atrocious, and that's this the showpiece of this movie. And I thought they yep. did a terrible job. Slow motion does not equal zero gravity. Lasers doesn't mm-hmm. e- equal future. You know, it just didn't really make sense, and it wasn't a very well put together movie with with not very good effects. Um, again, as you say, the free fall scene brilliant work of of um cinematography and and direction mm. but i mean one scene doesn't save a movie necessarily um nope. personally i give it a four not a lot going on for it not very interesting quite forgettable um sadly very iconic roger moore in the sense that it's forgettable bit silly bit boring bit out of date while you know because he's just a little bit older. So it just wasn't a very well put together movie. Didn't really make sense. So four and a six for me. True. Yep. I really can't stand this film. I, I get why I liked it as a kid. And now that I watch it, I'm, I, I just can't, I, I have no interest in watching it anytime soon. I, again, I probably won't watch it again for another decade. Maybe if I have to rewatch them all with Marcus when he's older, that might be it. Uh, technically, I gave it a six, and that six is pretty much the intro. And I personally, the, the one thing I do remember as a kid, and even now I enjoyed it, was the cable car sequence. That that was pretty well it. I, mm-hmm. There's nothing else going for it. Oh, I like the fact that you have a female lead that calls Bond out on his shit for so much. Yeah. What I don't yeah. like is how when it's uncovered that she's a spy, all of a sudden her attitude to him flips on I completely on agree. They were doing so yeah. well for so long and then suddenly yeah. they fe- fe- it fell apart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that annoyed the crap out of me. So personally, two. And that is the lowest score I've given any of them. That's goodness me, Drew. That's that's goodness Two. me. Two. It was absolute rubbish. And I. it's probably <laughs> why I'm a little more sympathetic to the next one. So let's get into it. Yep. For your eyes only. Now, I've got, the, I've got the thingamabob here. James Bond is assigned to find a missing British vessel equipped with a weapons encryption device and prevent it from falling into enemy hands. So, look, this one's going back to more of an old school, um, real, um, uh, what's, what am I thinking? Uh, like a bare bones, mm-hmm. uh, really grounded oh, yeah. Bond Bond film, back to basics. Because they spent all their money on Moonraker. They did. Yeah. And, and honestly, I, there's a lot I actually like about this one because I think that the, the, there were some cool things in there. I, th- I thought the casting was great. I, personally, I really loved the casting in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked that everything was, it was back to, yes, let's have a spy movie. Let's actually do spy things. Let's get into all that sort of stuff. It had, um, it had elements of Thunderbolt to me. Um, it did. Yeah. It did. It's like they they followed the Thunderball playbook a little bit, yeah. and it's it dragged. It really dragged, and and it was such a a nothing movie. But I preferred it over Moonraker. Bloody hell! Any day of the week. I have um, no idea what happened in this movie, and I'm not gonna lie. I I know there was a Greek uh, lady, and I know that there was a lot of set in Greece, and I enjoyed that part. And I know her yep. dad died. And then yep. there was an underwater that do you know what actually killed me in this movie when he smashes against the coral? I kept saying yep. you'd be dead. Oh. That oh, was so pain. painful to watch. Have you guys yep. ever hit coral? It's yep. oh. it's not fun. Yep. Nope. 
And he took it with nope, his whole back. It's like Castaway. Whacking oh. my my leg on coral um, at the beach once, and it took months for the cuts to heal. He got yeah. smashed against it like yeah. three or four times. Repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. back and forth. Um, yeah, look, uh, t- to be honest, oh. I-, I said it earlier, this one's probably the most forget- forgettable one for me. Um, I did yeah. realize, I noticed quite early on that it had a very similar um, feel to Thunderball, um, mm-hmm. which I appreciated because Thunderball was probably my favorite of the um, Connery ones, um, I yep. think it was. Uh so yeah, look, I, I really appreciated that, but I don't think it it did it. It it strangely enough didn't feel like it improved upon. And again, this is the the interesting thing that we mentioned a couple of weeks ago about the idea that we're watching these movies week to week to week to week. We see this kind of development of where film is at, where social kind of positions are and stuff through time. We're getting like a snapshot of time through the um, petri dish of james bond you know we've got one kind of source material here and we're seeing time change through film and through this film series so um for me to see this movie not particularly come very far when compared to something like thunderball which is something like i don't know is it 20 years earlier yeah yeah it's like it. it's about 20 years earlier i and, feel uh, like that's roughly and it's really not developed particularly far in terms of storyline. It feels a little bit like a rehashing of it, slight differences to it. Um, you know, underwater scenes are developed much more interestingly than that one, which we were blown away by, by the underwater film um, footage of the time um, and the scope of and, and the grandiose of the sets and everything from underwater mm. of the time. This one, yeah, it was pretty good with the um, scuba suits and everything like that. Um, and the submarines, but it didn't really develop beyond much of that. There was a great jump scene in the underwater scene, but that was yeah. really the most memorable, uh, most memorable scene of the whole mm. movie. Was that underwater scene for me, and um, it didn't really live up to. What about the cliff scene? Uh, that w- look, I, I liked when when we see um, Bond get dislodged and drop. I, I, that was kind yeah. of terrifying. My heart kind of se- my stomach leapt out of its. Yeah. What's the word I, I had that too. Your I stomach, stomach dropped drop and your heart yep. leapt out of your throat. That. Yeah, when you're he combining dropped. two phrases. And yes, I am. Because he, he fell a long way. That was yeah. a real fall. And that was, that um, was, that was cool. That was terrifying. Yeah, it was terrifying. Um, can, can we but, momentarily yeah. talk about the Bond girls in this film? Because there's one in particular mm-hmm. I want to talk about. Um, firstly, my family nickname is Bibby Doll. Which is where I get it from because my my two my parents used to call me Dolly when I was a kid and my nickname is Bibby, and mm-hmm. then they realised there's a character called Bibby Doll and that's just stuck with me since. So every time I do watch like when I was a kid and I watched this movie, I was like, oh, that's me kind of thing because my name. Um, but then I watched it again race now and I haven't seen it since I was a kid and now I'm an adult watching it and I'm like, fuck, she's sixteen. And that whole mm-hmm. thing it's totally inappropriate was, with a grandfather. Yeah, and well, she she was excluded from the press rounds because early on in the press for the film, she made a comment about how she felt uncomfortable about the fact that Bond was a good thirty years older than her, and and Gross. said that it was a romantic father daughter relationship. It, so the yeah. producers cut her off from being part of the press tour. It was a very Lolita kind of relationship and even though he, yep. they, nothing happens between them 
really it's not great no it's a bit gross it's um and he, the, some of the comments he says and i'm like mm, you you want to <laughs> you're just not doing it but you want to yep and i don't yep. like this yeah. and it was just so yeah. uncomfortable and it was taking me all yep. the way back to you, you're right like the first couple of bond movies and i'm like mm, no don't don't yeah i haven't felt this I haven't felt this level of uncomfortableness since the rape scene in um, in uh, Goldfinger. Goldfinger. So yeah, sorry, yeah. not the rape scene, the romantic scene in Goldfinger <laughs> where he rapes. Sorry, not rapes, where he makes love to um, forcibly pussy galore. Forcibly. No, we can call it the rape scene now. The latest Bond director has called it out as such. Well, yes, which latest- we'll get to. We'll we'll get to that in our next segment. Um, yes. Bond halfway yeah. reflections, but. Um, yeah, to finish off this one, I don't have much more to add for it because, I, I again, I, I, it was a bit of a lull in the series for me. Um, felt like Moonraker took all of its budget and it also felt like, I think I said it off air, but I may have said it on air, felt like yeah. basically the film crew were on holidays and as a team building exercise, they were told, make a film and they went, oh, all right, let's do this <laughs> kind of thing. That's what it felt like. Um, yep. Not really, didn't really blow mind. Um, in terms of my scores, personally, I give it a three because it was probably the most forgettable one for me. Um, yeah. Even probably my least favorite. We'll get to that one. Um, I think Diamonds Are Forever is probably up there somewhere. But um, So personal was a three? Personally, this gets a three. Again, just because yeah. it's forgettable. Um, yeah. It didn't Technical. grab me at any point. And technically, I give it a four because it didn't do anything. Really. Bianca? I'm going to concur with Phil. I'm going to give four and three technical fall of personal three because it wasn't great i liked the toboggan scene just the, the tobo- mm. yeah just because i like that scene but one of the stunt people died while shooting that oh, oh well, goodness really that makes me feel bad about liking it um <laughs> <laughs> that's fucking terrible <laughs> just, just just throwing it out there but um yeah all right well Look, I'll, I'll give my score, and then I do have a couple of um, a couple of little facts about it before we cut to the break. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave it a five and a five. Again, it is the most middle of the road Bond, so it's getting the most middle of the road score. I, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. I I, I, I would call it as such. Um, as far as my little factoids about it, um, the stunt of him falling off the cliff was actually really fucking dangerous because the. Um, Obviously, the sudden rope jerk at the at the bottom could be fatal. Absolutely. So, Derek Meddings developed a system that would dampen the stop, but Rick Sylvester recalled that his nerves nearly got the better of him. From where we were, you could see the local cemetery and the box to stop his fall looked like a casket. That's... You didn't need to be an English major to connect the dots. That's dark. But the, yeah, but the stunt went off without a problem. Um, another fun one to enter the identograph booth Q enters five digits of a seven digit code. Those five digits were the first five notes to the chorus of nobody does it better, which is the theme to the spy who loved me bond then responds by entering the final two notes. That's fantastic. I didn't notice that. That's cool. Yeah. Just, just nifty little, little bits and pieces. Um, now the countess in the film we remember the countess, of course. Mm-hmm. There was a countess. Let's let's pretend the like actress, I do. Yeah, the actress that plays the countess. Her name was Cassandra Harris. 
She was, at the time of filming, married to none other than Pierce Brosnan. Hey! Oh! Brosnan, Brosnan was offered the part five years later after meeting the the producers when he visited his wife on the set of the film. So he met them, they got to know him, and then five years later they offered him the role. Really? But, but he was unable to do The Living Daylights because he was committed to his show Remington Steel. That's why Brosnan should have been Bond for The Living Daylights and License to Kill, but he had his TV show to do, and then by the time they got to Goldeneye, he'd finished Remington Steel and was able to go on to play Bond. But that's how he got there in the first place. Because of that chance meeting, because of that casting. Because, yeah, because his wife was one of the Bond girls. Now, last fun fact before we wrap up. Two of the actors from this film both wound up in Game of Thrones. The first one being Julian Glover, who plays Christatos. Is it Christatos? Oh, Christatos. Yeah. Uh, Julian Glover. That's what I'm going with. Yeah. He is Grand Maester Pycelle in Mm -hmm. Game of Thrones. And for the eagle-eyed viewer, he's also the villain in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Mm -hmm. Fun thing. And the other one is Charles Dance, who played Klaus, and he is Tywin Lannister. That was funny, because as soon as he popped up on the screen, I just just pointed at it and I was like, hey, Tywin Lannister. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I said the exact, I was like, (laughs) hey. I did the same. (laughs) It's like, Tywin Lannister. I had to quickly rewind it and and point it out to the housemates. I was like, look, look who it is. (laughs) And they didn't get it. I had to tell them, and they're like, oh my God. No, that, how could you not, that's, that's so Tywin Lannister. I don't know how they didn't mm-hmm. realize it first, but whatever. Anyway, that's our films for the week. We're going to keep talking about Bond right after this. And now it's time for another week of What the Quote. All right. So last week's quote was... If you set your goals ridiculously high and it's a failure, you will fail above everyone else's success. Yes, of course. And that quote was from... The world-famous James Cameron. Indeed it was. Now, Mr. Phil, what is this week's quote? What we've got here is a failure to communicate. And if you know where that quote is from, please reach us out to us on any of our socials or, you know, just call us. It's fine. You can call and leave a message after the tone. Beep! And we're back for more Bond. Now, having completed... For your eyes only. God, even I nearly forgot the name for a minute there. Um, we it's a are forgettable now name. Through. It is because of the forgetful, uh, forgettable movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, we are now halfway through because that completes 12 movies out of 24 that are currently released. Oddly enough, the timing actually works out beautifully that by the time we complete all our reviews, it'll be opening week of the new film. Not something we planned, not something we timed, and it only worked out because they just moved the Australian release date. Drew, purely you never give away the magic. <laughs> <laughs> this is genuinely something one of my teachers taught me in music class because I went up on stage and I had to go perform something. And I just said, sorry, I didn't get enough time to rehearse. And then I performed and I ended up being fine. And she said, see, this is why you don't tell people that you didn't have time to rehearse because that was great. I was like, well, oh, 
At the same time, I want the audience to be able to marvel in the 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 brilliant timing of it. That's not something that we achieve very often, and I want them to be able to be like, "That was well timed." Yeah. So, um, pure pure ass. But yeah. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Um. All right. How how are we feeling so far about the the twelve that we've seen? I'm in two minds. I'm in two minds. Um. It's yeah. the first time I've watched any of these um, 12 movies. First time I've ever watched any of them. Um, and so I I feel like the way we've been reviewing them has been um, majority of the time negatively. Um, mm-hmm. Mind you, for me watching them for, for the first time and wanting to go in with a completely open mind, um, I did. And each time was disappointed. Now, as someone that has watched... Um, most of the upcoming films in fact 10 out of the next um sorry eight out of the next um 12 12. films um i know what's in store for me with those and they are at least to my memory favorable favorable films because they seem to get their shit together these Mm. ones really i don't think had much in terms of competition in terms of the subject matter so i don't know if there's a real actual laziness that's gone on here because, yeah, I've not been a massive fan of them. Um, I'm so feeling I, more confident about the next ones. Yep. I think even though we've judged them negatively and I've been judging them negatively too, I really think we need to reassess the fact that we're not really comparing them to movies at their time, probably because we don't know many movies at their time. But I feel like... yeah. Despite what we say and despite how crappy they are, like I think about, I think about like I've watched Elvis movies and I used to like them as a kid as well, but I watched one recently, not recently, I think like four or five years ago. And I was like, wow, this is really shit. Um, And it's because that's just the way stories were told back then with a lot of weird cut scenes and a lot of random plot lines happening that just don't seem to be going anywhere. Hmm. It's sort of a product of the time. And I think we may not enjoy it and I don't think we have to enjoy it because there's so much that we can enjoy from the Bond series. But it was enjoyable to some people back in some time because that's what the peak of entertainment was. Yes. Now, Drew, you've you've written some questions here for us. Um, You know, first question being um, best so far. What do we think, guys? What do we think is the best so far? I think we all in more or less agreement here. On Her yeah. Majesty's Secret uh, Service. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. That's my favorite yeah. as well. Um, the only one by Lazenby, but I think that was the the best one so far. Um, mm. What do we think the worst one is? I, I feel like the one that we've all three of us sort of consistently rated rather low was Diamonds Are Forever, but. At the same time, we've just rated the last two that we've seen quite low as well. Uh, so I- True. I would stand by, though, the Diamonds Are Forever is probably my least favorite one. I think I called... Um, I think I called... Um, I've forgotten its name. For Your Eyes Only. Yeah. For, uh, <laughs> I think I called it Pointless, and I think it is yeah. Pointless, but I think Diamonds Are Forever is more Pointless. I... I, for some reason also didn't like the spy who loved me like i think about it now and i'm like it didn't actually enjoy it that much but i have to agree diamonds are forever pretty not that great and i think the, it, the i think the biggest yeah. letdown of it is you had a good thing going with lazenby 
And then you went back to Connery and Which I was sick and tired of already. Yeah, and 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 Connery wasn't doing a good job, but then Lazenby even though Lazenby was apparently a bit of a dick, Lazenby did a good enough job that you were kinda like, Oh, I wanna see more of this. Like this is mm. this is a good track to go on. And then you go back to Connery and you're like, Oh, why? Automatically just a sleazy kind of dirty kind of perv kind of guy. Um you said, are we, or how are we enjoying it? I am enjoying them, though. Even though I haven't been a particularly large fan of these, I'm. it's nice to be watching all of this film series, which I've never done before. So it's nice to have an yeah. excuse to do it, for sure. So I am enjoying it, and I'm also excited about what's to come. You know you know what the payoff is. It's some brilliant movies that get is this shit together. That, well, is it weird that we're kind of enjoying not enjoying some of them? I, I, I think we're, we're enjoying the journey, because... There, there's things that we're seeing and we're just like, no. I am no, genuinely enjoying watching the evolution of film. Like, I I, yeah. I really... And yeah. that was one of the things I mentioned in the very first week. I think to you, Phil, mm. you and I on tour talking about this. And I was like, I can't wait to see, like, how movies have evolved. And, and we are. We really are. And we're really seeing how movie technology is getting better and mm. just how... Mm. Um, pop culture is influencing things in different ways. Like I was saying this week, um, the last movie, for fuck's sake, why can't I ever remember the same? For your eyes only. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) for your eyes only. um, Was really heavily influenced by Hawaii Five-0, which had just ended that year. Then Moonraker Mm. was Star Wars. The Spy Who Loved Me, you can kind of see. Not The Spy Who Loved Me, sorry. What's the one where they go to America? And we start to see really Americana come in. I think it's the man with the golden gun, but anyway. Um, yeah, golden gun yeah. or die. And no, live and let, let die. die. Yeah. yeah, sorry. You can see like really Americana coming in and that's when, you know, they realized how big James Bond was with American audiences more so than the well, UK. And, and like Bianca, like even before that, like if you go back to some of the earlier Connery ones, you can really see like this rape culture influencing it. Well, yeah, true. You can see the whole John, I, like I, you're kid and it's thing, but like. Don Draper did ex- was based on real people like that the whole and the fact that um, I M not M Money Penny Money Penny do you know what your rank has mm-hmm. to be in order to be the secretary of the MI16 you have to be like no. some really fucking high up naval officer so Money Penny is actually a decorated yeah. Navy naval officer like really really knows her stuff and mm. to see what she's reduced to which I love Money Penny I think she's a great character um but she's just a secretary and she's just you know a doting secretary who's in awe of James Bond and then you kind of see her evolve over the years and she's still always a secretary but she gets more involved in the missions and she gets more like you can see her become smarter. Not to say that um, the actress who plays her isn't brilliant at in the, what we've yeah. watched so far, but yeah, like the fact that you can see how you know women get treated differently, and we like we were mentioned briefly just before, but we can talk about that a bit more. You know, even the directors of the new stuff are saying, yeah, mm. the old stuff is kind of shit. Mm. Yeah, I, again, I'm blown away by that. You know, I mentioned that, but I, you guys referenced an article. And I didn't know what you were talking about, but um, Carrie Fukunaga, um, the director of um, No Time, no Time to, Die, to Die, 
The the headline is James Bond was basically a rapist in early films. Says No Time to, to Die director, and that's that. The scene that I referenced on this podcast, which I'm sure lots of people did, um, in Goldfinger when he was raping or forcing himself on um, Pussy Galore. Yeah, it's now this, this guy's the director of No Time to Die has said, yeah, he was basically a rapist. Like he forced himself on her. And he did, and I can't believe that that f- that flew in films, and it, but it did, and it's it's not because James Bond was overtly, um, you know, it always was beyond sexual and everything like that compared to other movies, I'm sure, but you know, it wasn't necessarily pushing the limits in terms of what is acceptable in terms of um, the rules of of. Um, consent and all that back then it wasn't really something that was talked about so it wasn't really something that was taboo to show something there was no such thing like as that. consent back then yeah so so that so we're seeing this evolution in terms of of subject matter we're seeing an evolution in terms of social etiquette we're seeing a, an, an evolution in terms of the way they make films in terms of scripting in terms of seriousness in terms of dialogue in terms of sound design in terms of lighting in terms of set detail in terms of stunts and effects and um, I will have to say, if we're going to talk about evolution of film, we were just mm-hmm. mentioned tonight. We were talking about in Moonraker the the jump scene. That yeah. scene would not be made today the way it was made back then. It would just no. be made on CGI, a bunch of people in a room. Oh, you know, po- potentially, but at the same time, I, I, I mean, we're coming off of. Um, only what two years ago, Mission Impossible Four. I knew you were going to say Mission Impossible Four, and I was about to reply. Tom Cruise is an exception, but I wanted to wait for you to hear this Mission Impossible Four. Tom Cruise, as much as I despise the man, yeah, he is a massive believer in non CGI real. and real film, yeah. which and I have a great to job at give him that. respect for. But because CGI but my- is just oversaturated nowadays. My, my argument with this is not not a generalization. It's that those films, much like Bond, have tried to pioneer the way things are done over the years. There, there are a number of things that were done in Bond films that influenced other productions over, over the decades. I, I feel like if they attempted a sequence like that in a Bond film now, they would try to do it practically. I, I don't think I, it would rely I don't on CG. think so. I don't think because one, you also the, the other thing that's really heavily influenced is how much insurance costs back then versus now. Insurance that's true. That's true. Back then, insurance was fucking nothing. You know, you could get insured mind, mind for anything. You, mind you, I think that Skyfall did a we re- a really good job for stunts. Um, you know, I'm mm. so excited. I haven't watched that movie for a couple of years now and I'm so excited to watch it again because I can only remember parts of it but again I, I remember the reintroduction of the name Money Penny. I re- remember um, the stunts that are in that and so I'm really excited for that Javier Bardem in that as well so um, yeah br- if we're bring lucky, if we're lucky by, by the time we get to it we'll all be able to watch it together we'll all be able to be in the room together to watch them and hit record by the time we reach it. that point mm. yeah bring it on but oh my god do you want to move my couches again yes <laughs> yes <laughs> But, but yeah, like these these 12 films have spanned 19 years. So we've gone from 62 to 81. Mm-hmm. In that time, 
a number of them have been nominated for a ridiculous number of awards. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly a lot of Academy Award nominations in there, particularly for things like sound, songs, art direction, visual effects, um, all technical categories. But none of them necessarily stand out as as mm. these great pioneering memorable pieces of cinema with maybe the exception of the first one Mm. um because it it helped define a particular branch of the spy film genre yeah for sure however that said yeah sorry i I think i have even though it may not have won awards and i was actually thinking about this when we were watching the emmys and how we talked about wandavision not winning any awards yeah um over those decades There was a massive prejudice against spy films as a genre. Um, They may have gotten nominated, but they weren't actually seen as, you know, good cinema. It was, you know, action, beefy, or, or, you know, that's not great cinema. And it wasn't until, you know, the 90s, 2000s, 2000s and 10s that you really saw spy films get massive recognition in award ceremonies and cinema and the Oscars and what have you somewhat like, and this is going to sound really thing. And it's, I'm a nerd and I love comics and all that, but it's also like the fact that superhero films and superhero TV shows don't get mm. that recognition. And I, I, I say this because one division was nominated for the most amount of awards, but they won nothing. Mm, yeah. Same as the boys is actually a really good show technically the acting is great like the storylines are great the in- like it's a very interesting dynamic show they've been nominated for countless things i don't think they've won very much if anything at all um like there's this always been this prejudice so i wouldn't so when you say that they may not have won a lot of rewards all i know from these movies is the amount of influence they've had on cinematography and directing since We've talked about mm. the ski scene. We've talked about, um, I mean, this scene with the parachutes, the underwater who, who scene. Can, who would ever forget the scene, the, the correction of um, a mistaken film, you know, flipping the car from one side to the other in um, yeah. Diamonds Are Forever. I'm talking about that in, yeah. in very much tongue-in-cheek because that was one of the worst scenes I've ever seen. I, I, I understand it. that they <laughs> fucked up a lot and I won't say that they haven't, but the fact is that, this is the first of its kind. The these yeah, movies were the first of its the kind. Yeah. They may yeah. not have always gotten it right, but you got to give them credit for that and the fact that you can see things that this movie has done echo mm-hmm. in action movies and spy movies mm-hmm. and spy shows yeah. throughout time. And then just quickly before we get to our sick end of the week, um, what's the best performing and what's the worst performing? Do we know? Do we know if there's some sort of, do we have something that tells us if, you know, comparing to what we've been saying, what has been rated the best and worst? Um, if we're talking about, let's let's use Rotten Tomatoes sure. as the example, um, the worst critically rated Bond film is the man with the golden gun at 40 percent i see that and the and the top rated one i can't believe i'm gonna say this is goldfinger <laughs> at really? 19, oh, 99 99 percent approval 
Yeah, I can't get my head around the idea that Goldfinger sits no. at the top at 99. I, I, can I, I, I can't you, I, the, now that yeah. you've said that the man with the golden gun is rated the worst, I totally get that because that was the movie where I watched it and I realized how bad of a spy James Bond is. <laughs> like, That's yeah, true. you did notice that. It's probably I, why it got rated bad, so badly. Oh, so bad. Anyway, um, that sound means only one thing. Sick Kent of the Week. Uh, yes, it's time for our Sick Kent of the Week. That's right. Um, Bianca, yeah. who's our Sick Kent of the Week for this week? Okay, I'm very excited for this because our Sick Kent of the Week is my favorite character, Ted Lasso. Uh, no, it's the actor who plays that character is Brett Goldstein. You, you've got to you've got to say his title correctly for what he's won. He is what this week? <laughs> he is the outstanding actor for a comedy series, supporting actor for Supp- a comedy supporting. series. And he's not the sick Kent of the week. What is he? He's the sick Roy Kent for the week. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Well done. <laughs> it works. Very well done, guys. <laughs> He's here. He's, he's there, there. He's, he's every, every fucking, fucking where. where. Roy Kent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, uh, that that literally gets stuck in your head for hours and it can't get yep. removed. That and Jamie Tart. <laughs> Jamie I really, can I, we need to do a whole episode about Ted Lasso, but Phil, you got to watch it first. We'll do. so much good stuff on there. It'll happen. Well, congratulations. Brett Goldstein actor, writer, uh, part of the writing and producing team of this show, uh, also has a podcast because he's a film nerd and it's all about- Massive fan of the Muppets. The- did a oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, diehard fan the of the Muppets as well. And did a one-man, what was it, a six-minute one-man um, abridged production of the Muppet Christmas Carol. Just very quickly, can we just, like, the reason why he's so great as well is, do you guys, like, Phil, you haven't watched it, but Drew, do you know how he got the part of Roy Kent? Uh, yeah, he was hired on the writing staff and then... And then he, he wrote, I- no, no, he, he wrote all the episodes with the writing staff. They finished writing. Yeah. They hadn't yeah. cast anyone in it except for Jason Sudeikis and Beard, they knew. Um, yeah. But everyone else was up in the air. And he finished writing and he read the script and he's like, I think I'm Roy Kent. And he didn't tell anyone, but he, as he was writing, he's like, I'm pretty sure I'm Roy Kent. And then after he finished filming, after, not after he finished filming, after he finished writing, he sent an email to Bill Lawrence and Jason Sudeikis and everyone and was like, look, thank you for the opportunity to write in Ted Lasso. It's been great, blah, blah, blah ignore this he goes if you if i send this and you ignore this and you you know you never say anything i'll that's fine i won't i won't ever say anything i won't ask you guys but just this is my audition for roy kent and if you like me just tell me and if you don't don't worry you don't have to say a thing that's fine i'll just pretend like it never happened um and he sent it off and he didn't hear back from him for a week and then suddenly someone called him i was like yep that's great cool we'll see you when we film and that was it that's brilliant but wow. yeah, anyway. I like and that. that cool. It's so good. Well, oh. congratulations, Brett Goldstein. Brett Goldstein. Him. Um, you are a second of the week for this week. Um, but anyway, Drew, thank you. Bianca, thank you. Audience, Thanks, thank you. Thank you, team. Yep, everyone. And uh, till next week. Uh, yep.